It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of the murder and sexual abuse of children. So recently, our reporting on the Delphi case has focused a lot upon a lengthy water search that took place in Peru, Indiana, where you had the Indiana State Police um, and their dive team sort of putting in a lot of resources towards searching the Wabash River and that our sources told us was connected with the Delphi case. And so today we are going to talk about a different search that was also going on around the same time that we didn't hear about until a little bit more recently. So we'll get into what we know and then some of the context surrounding what we've heard. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. 
We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're The Murder Sheet, and this is... The Delphi Murders, The Other Search. So earlier, we shared with you a little bit of the story that Kagan Klein told police about what happened on the day of the murders. Namely, you'll recall that we said that Kagan Klein told police that Kagan Klein actually was waiting inside a red Jeep at the time the murders were occurring. Uh, Now we're going to reveal a bit more about that story that he told. But before we do, we want to repeat the same warning we gave you last time, which is that Kagan Klein is a known liar. Yes, Kagan Klein is a is a known liar. I think that you have to pretty much check, verify, look into everything that comes out of his mouth. So not only do we kind of include this caveat whenever we're kind of talking about stories that he's told, but, you know, I think investigators also realize that this person is very challenged when it comes to telling the truth. You know, I think, I think people following this case should really fundamentally understand that. Most of the activities of which he's been credibly accused of involve creating a life of deceit. The Anthony Schatz social media accounts he ran were a complete fabrication. They were him trying to make himself seem younger and better looking and more successful than he really was. This is a man we cannot stress enough. This is a man who lies about everything. And so we're going to tell you some more details about his story, but keep in mind he is a liar. So this These additional details may be complete fabrications, they may be partially true, they may be completely true, but we have to approach it with a lot of skepticism. Yes, I think skepticism and just, you know, the the acknowledgement that, you know, we are trying to report on the direction this investigation is going, 
we are not uh, endorsing Kagan Klein's story and more of just trying to bring it to the attention of our listeners so they can understand what sort of activities and factors are going in behind the scenes on this very important case where people are searching for justice for Libby and Abby. And with that in mind, let's tell you a bit more about what Kagan Klein told police happened. Kagan Klein told police that at some point after the murders, some crucial pieces of evidence were destroyed. And he says that these these crucial pieces of evidence were just actually destroyed at a fire or burn pit located at the residence of Kagan's grandparents and Tony's parents. We told you a bit about those two individuals in a previous episode where we discussed Tony Klein's background, and we'll link to that in our show notes. Uh, but this is a Jerry Klein and Linda Klein. And we will say that in the past, we made an effort to speak with Linda Klein, and she made it clear that she was not interested in having a conversation with us. And uh, Jerry Klein has actually passed away. He passed away earlier this year. Before we go into what the police did with this information, I think it might be helpful to actually discuss what a burn pit or a fire pit is. I know when we recently moved back to Indiana, uh, Anya was surprised to actually find a burn pit in our backyard, our new backyard. She didn't even know what a burn pit was. Well, yeah, I, 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 where I'm from in New York, that's but burning trash in your yard is not really a thing that I've ever encountered, at least. Uh, so the previous owners of our house actually I guess when they were leaving, decided it would be a good idea to burn their couch on the way out. So that was very fun to have to deal with that <laughs> in the yard. Um, but it is a thing in Indiana, seemingly, because I, I remember like we'd be out at night and we'd see sort of major fires kind of starting to kind of crop up in the distance in other people's backyards, essentially. And it always kind of alarmed me because I was like, oh my, you know, something's on fire. But it, apparently that, that can be kind of a thing here. And a burn pit is basically, simply put, it is an area on your property which you have designed to be a place where you can safely burn things, usually trash. And that is a relatively common thing here in Indiana. It's not terribly unusual, especially in rural areas. So the story is that some evidence was destroyed at this burn pit on the property of uh, Tony Klein's parents, Kagan Klein's grandparents. And the first thing that comes to mind is that if something was burned there five and a half years ago, it is extraordinarily unlikely that there would be any remains of that evidence today. No, because not only was whatever those items were, which we don't know, set on fire, uh, they also were then set on fire again and again, subsequently every time the burn pit was used. Yes, if you burn something, if you burn a piece of trash... And it's consumed by fire. And then like the next day or the next week, you burn more trash. And the week or the month after that, you continue to burn 
trash, everything's going to be consumed and be pretty much destroyed. But with all of this said, the state police, the investigators, realize that you have to follow every lead. And we believe that's something they really try hard to do. And so they followed this lead and they conducted a a search or a bit of a dig at the burn pit at the residence of Tony Klein's parents. And let's talk a little bit about process. We talked about this some in terms of the Ron Logan search. Typically, when the police want to conduct a search, they have a couple of options. One is you can simply go to the property owner and say, we'd like to search. Can you give us permission? Now, in most cases, a property owner is understandably reluctant to let police onto their property to conduct a major search. So what would what would law enforcement do in a situation like that? Basically, uh, file an affidavit to obtain a search warrant, a probable cause affidavit that would explain to a judge, here's what we're looking for specifically. You can't just say we're going to just go cruise around and, you know, ransack the house randomly. You have to say we're looking for this based on whatever evidence that we have kind of indicating that this could be important. And the idea is to convince a judge, here's why our reasoning is good enough to disrupt this property owner's privacy, you know, and, and why we feel we need to do this. So the, the case needs to be good enough to, you know, elicit that sort of reaction from a judge, although it's certainly not the same thing as being able to charge somebody or, you know, eventually convict them. It's basically saying, here's what we have that's good enough that we feel like we need to look further. As far as I understand it, in layman's terms, obviously, you're the attorney, not me. That's basically it. And I really think it's important that point you made that a probable cause to conduct a search is very different from a probable cause to arrest someone. And so if you have probable cause for a search, that does not mean you have probable cause for an arrest. Yes. And could you conceivably receive a a, successfully file an affidavit and obtain a search warrant basically based on... Here is this uh, witness who says that this material was burned here. Can we go look? Is that Would that be something that would likely uh, entice a judge to signing off on this? I think so. I, I would not be surprised if that was all it took. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen the, the no. probable cause affidavit in this case. We don't even know for sure if there is one. Yeah, this could be a situation where there was a cooperation on the part of the property owner who said, Go ahead. So we don't know the ins and outs on this. We're just trying to explain to everyone in the audience, you know, what goes behind some of these decisions when we're talking about a search, especially of someone's private property. All we know at this point is that the police took Kagan's story seriously enough on this point that they they went out and they searched this burn pit. Yes. And of course, the water search dominated a lot of attention recently, understandably so. It was a major undertaking by the Indiana uh, State Police and by the dive team there. And it went on for weeks. And it also, uh, you know, sort of was very public, given that it was occurring in the Wabash River and uh, in full view of passersby and media sort of coming by to observe. But this burn pit search obviously was uh, flying under the radar a little bit more, given that it was on 
private property and uh, certainly less public facing. And it's an important reminder that there are always more things going on in this case behind the scenes than are readily apparent to the public. We all saw the water search, but even though that was happening, there were other things happening. And there are things happening at all times in this case that are not readily apparent to the public. The police and law enforcement take this case very seriously. And it's a situation where we feel that, you know, it's we definitely try to kind of get you the behind the scenes story and the inside story. But sometimes it takes us a while to kind of be able to really put all the pieces together and get enough sources to run with something. I think I think it's just an important reminder for everyone who's uh, who's following this case, everyone who's covering this case to keep an open mind. And we can we can acknowledge that. Just because one thing is happening or just because some nothing appears to be happening doesn't mean that that's the case. And it may just take a little bit of time before we get the full story. So patience is certainly necessary here. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So 
As for the results of this burn pit search, our understanding was that there were no actionable finds from that, which, again, not terribly surprising given the nature of a burn pit and given the amount of time that has passed by. And also, of course, uh, there's still likely some analysis. There's still likely some analysis going on of whatever was taken from the burn pit. So when we say that nothing actionable has been found, that's just a tentative uh, situation. It may change. Yeah, that's that's our understanding of it from from what we from what we know. Uh, you know, and and the same goes for the water search. I mean, these are we're talking about possible. Uh, you know, when you when you have searches like these, there may be analysis done. You know, after the search that you know may take a little while or might you know involve looking at some different things. So. We don't want to preemptively or, or conclusively say anything about the results of either of these, but just giving you what we know so far. So to provide some further context on this story about the burn pit st- search, we are going to return to some familiar territory to uh, the transcripts that we obtained and published of Keg and Klein's 2020 uh, interview with uh, Indiana State Police, as well as the 2021 interview that Kagan Klein gave to HLN reporter Barbara McDonald. It's important to note that the topic of Kagan Klein's grandparents' house comes up in both of those transcripts, as we will see. So to start off with, Kevin will, I think, speak for uh, the role of Kagan Klein, and I will take on the role of Barbara McDonald in this initial exchange, which again comes from that 2021 transcript that we first published. Uh, previously this year so how and so tell me about the 13th what were you guys doing all day that you know for sure he was with you the whole day well he doesn't work on month saturday and month or sunday and mondays so we would always just hang out at the house go to my grandparents i remember that day we watched a wrestling pay-per-view that night and and he was at my grandparents with me around five and six and then the rest of the night. But he usually sleeps, you know, because he works third shift, so. Okay. He normally sleeps until about one or two, and then we wake up, get lunch, you know, stuff like that. Okay, and so you know that he was with you from one or two Monday the 13th? Right. Throughout the evening? Right, yeah. So that's sort of a brief exchange, but it gets into the idea that, at least at this point, Keg Klein's alibi that he's giving to Barbara McDonald for himself and his father, Tony, is that they were spending time with Linda and Jerry Klein on the day of the murders. He sort of puts them there in the evening, but um, she presses him on, you know, more earlier in the day, one to two, and he sort of just says yes. He doesn't really give details around that, which I think is interesting, but in the beginning, he's very much putting them there later in the day. So, interesting. What do you make of that? Well, just sort of pulling the grandparents into this whole thing, frankly. And it also speaks to, you know, if you erase everything we know about this whole situation, you know, a close relationship. We're going to see the grandparents. You know, it's pretty, pretty wholesome, pretty, pretty chill. But, uh, you know, they they come up again also in the earlier 2020 police interview in, in a bit of a more detailed way. But it's certainly we couldn't have, you know, my dad couldn't have been there. He was here with me. But again, uh, earlier in 2020, he was also giving a version of events that 
involved being at his grandparents' residence that day. And, and of course, that day was February 13th, 2017. So I guess now we'll get into that? Yeah. I will be reading the role of the investigators, Detective Vito and Deputy Clinton, and Kevin will once again be uh, speaking uh, the part of Kegan Klein. And then we go again. Something else that stacks up on top of this is when you talk to investigators, I mean, this is fresh in your mind. You just got back from Vegas. You've been nonstop searching this stuff. You've been talking about it with other girls that knew Libby. You've been searching it before you went to Vegas. And then you tell investigators, I was with my dad all day. We went to grandma and grandpa's at noon. No, I told them I didn't know what. I mean, I don't ever leave. So like, yeah, I'm probably out at his house, really. But I mean, I'm telling again. I don't remember everything I did. Well, I'm refreshing your memory. Like I told them that I would go and see my grandma and grandpa like a lot. No, for a fact, audio video recorded on your interview, you told them a few days after this happened, you know, you were with your dad all day and you knew you went to your grandparents. Every did, really. From what? From on your your interview, said you either said 12 or 2 or 12 to 3, and then you came back home. That's what you said. Right. That's not a, I don't remember. That's a, that's what you said, right? No, because he was like, hey, you really need to think about this. Right, and you. You really need to think about. And that's what you said. So I was like, well, I mean. Well, your phone does not line up to that. And again, that's another fact. I, you, you don't have to remember it. Okay, where was my phone at? Please tell me. So it was at your residence. All day? Because I don't ever leave there. Until? Until when? You went somewhere near your grandparents' house, but you did not go to your grandparents' house. Friend one. Where? Friend one's house. Okay. I'm. That's the only other place I'd go. He sold me weed. That's literally the only other place I'd go. I... So why lie several times? But I don't. I don't think I ever lied, but I'm saying if I left my house on that day, it was to go to my grandparents or to friend ones. You said in an interview, audio recorded to two law enforcement officers, including an FBI agent. Right. You said I was here at home from this time to this time. Then I went to my grandparents and then we went right back home and I was with my dad the entire time. Done. I know Okay. that for a fact, because you said it and that's what you said. Okay. But now you're telling me you... Where were you last Monday at 7.45 p.m.? Probably at home. But again... Okay, I was probably at home. This is... But what I'm telling you... I mean, do you get what I'm saying, though? Like... No, I don't, because... I mean, you don't, okay? You're... You're... Okay, where were you Monday at 7.45? Kegan, this isn't about... Why don't you... Me. No. You see what I'm saying, though? No. Like, people don't remember every little thing about life. They do when it involves them. When I had nothing to do with it. So why would I even remember what I was doing? One of the last people to... This is why... Okay. This is... But if I... Such a big deal. Did that. Don't you think I would know exactly where I was at? Yes, and that's what you told people. Exactly. But it was a lie. Okay, so where was my phone at? I told you it was at your house. Exactly. And then it went to where? It was in Grandma and Grandpa's. Where was it? I'll tell you that much. Where was it? Was it in Peru? Yep. Exactly. Country Club Road. Whose house is that? Country Club Road? I have no clue. That's where my grandma... 
I mean, my grandma lives on out by Paw 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 Pike. Yeah, right. It wasn't there. Country Club Road and Paw Paw Pike meet. I understand that, but you connected to a Wi-Fi source that was in that house. No, I did not. I, I'm telling you 1,000%. I don't go anywhere besides friend one and my grandma's. So why would you, why did you tell investigators that you went there when you didn't? Because I, well, he was like, well, where do you ever go? That's the only places I go. I don't know what I was doing on that day. Two weeks ago, I don't fucking know. So you... It's like if someone asked me right now, what were you doing two weeks ago on a Monday? Okay. I have not the slightest clue. So then with your with your logic then, back then, when you said that maybe you weren't with dad all day then? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I went to my... Could be possible? Yeah, I mean, the only time I ever really left my dad was when I would go to friend one's, really, and get weed. That's about it. And would you search... I didn't have a car. Did you... Know where to go. Would it be normal for you to go look up porn at grandma and grandpa's house? No. Because that's what you were doing on your phone at the time you said you... That's fine. ...said you were there. I wasn't doing that. Then who was? Friend one. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, I don't... It's not... ...hang out with no one besides friend one. So how do you know friend one did it then? Because you don't remember what happened. All this point to him like more and more. Like, the more you keep saying, like, I'm like, if I'm not at my grandma and grandpa's house, I'm not with my dad, I would be a friend once. Did I get fucked up that day? I have no clue what I was doing. So here we're getting a much more detailed sort of accounting of, of the various stories Kegan Klein told about his grandparents' house and sort of his alibi for the day of February 13th, 2017. And it's, it's looking a little bit more complicated than what he told Barbara McDonald later on. How so? Well, so, so basically, investigators are confronting him and saying that in 2017, he told them that part of the alibi for that day was being at his grandparents' house. And that now, in 2020, he's going back saying he doesn't remember anything about that day. Uh, he's, he's evading, basically why his phone was connecting to a Wi-Fi source somewhere in Peru, somewhere perhaps even in the vicinity, but not at his grandparents' house. So it, it's sort of, um, basically they're catching him in a lie. And, and the idea that, uh, you know, he was here, his father was at the grandparents' house at that time is sort of being looked upon as more of a, a suspicious claim rather than something that's a credible alibi for the day. And as usual, Kegan Klein is is very much uh, avoiding taking responsibility for anything and is basically uh, attempting seemingly to assign blame for all of this to friend number one, who he basically claims would uh, frequently steal his phone uh, when he was passed out on drugs, look up child porn in his own house and, you know, engage in this sexual uh, you know, deviant behavior on his friend's phone all the time. Even even today, <laughs> even that specific day on February 13th, 2017, where he, it, it, from his telling, it sounds like friend one is being accused of, you know, basically stealing his phone and going around to different locations to look up porn. So it's, uh, to to in case it's not apparent from my the tone of my voice, I that is very, very hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, that's just an, that's, I feel like a ridiculous story. 
And it seems like investigators would agree with that. Yes, as we said before, Kagan Klein has a real tendency to lie, and he's not even uh, a good liar, frankly. I also think it's important to remember that, you know, on the internet, people, we love, you know, people love to speculate about this case, and I think there's a tendency to want to draw in more people so it's more complicated and, you know, a major conspiracy, and we would just, we would just encourage everyone to kind of you know, when, when Kagan Klein is trying to throw someone under the bus, really take that with a huge grain of salt because he's he's trying to basically uh, absolve himself of any wrongdoing here. So, you know, we're not saying that there weren't more people involved. We're not saying there were, you know, there you know, we're not saying anything either way, because what are we're just trying to report the facts of what we're hearing about the investigation. We're not necessarily trying to jump to a ton of conclusions here, but you know, we would just recommend that people be cautious around that. And, and just because someone's being smeared by Keg and Klein, I don't think we need to uh, necessarily run with that. Is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. Yeah. I think altogether, though, hopefully this gives us more of a sense of the grandparents' house and how that location pertains to this case so far. We have it being used as a partial alibi for the day in question where, where Libby and Abby were murdered and Keg and Klein is telling stories about he and his dad visiting them that day. Um, Keg and Klein is also stating that he and his father were over there a lot in general, that it was a common thing for them to go visit the grandparents and, you know, say hello and have family activities there. So sort of establishing it as a bit of a, a, a central focus here for the time being. And, and then in the case of with this search happening now, it's kind of becoming more relevant even again because uh, investigators were actively looking for evidence in the case there. So altogether uh, kind of gives us an, an, a sense of perhaps the importance of this one location to the case at this point. And just a quick reminder, we are always looking for more people on the ground in Peru and Delphi who notice things, who see things, and let us know what they're they're noticing. And so if you are out there on the ground and you notice something, please contact us at murdersheet at gmail.com. And uh, as always, we protect our sources and we will keep you anonymous if that's what you want. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet discussion group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, 
but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.